Hello, listening people. Don't do that, man. Don't do that. Stop. 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 Okay. How are you, Bartek, fellow host of the Spin Polish podcast? Finally feeling a little bit better, Ryan, other host guy. Are you spooked? Spooked and spooky. I am this week the invisible Bartek. Are you a month? <laughs> are you a full month? <laughs> are you feeling monthly? Is it that time of the month for you, Monthly, Bartek? oh boy. Ooh. Oh, ooh, spooky, spooky, scary. Well, Men I, becoming wolves, wolves I, becoming ooh, men. Well, I did have a blood nose the other week, but that wasn't in really? October. Really? Really? Did you have a bloody nose recently? Well, it was weeks ago. What happened? Uh, well... I've never had a bloody nose in my entire life, so every time it happens to somebody that isn't my friend Tim, where he's the guy where <laughs> he will bleed all the time, like, randomly okay. it will just go off and be like, oh, Tim's bleeding a nose, and you just go, okay, that's how it is. W- what happened? Uh, you, this, uh, I didn't think it was that rare of a thing for people. <laughs> I never, I've never had a bloody nose, ever. Oh, wow. He, fun fact, everyone, Ryan's also never worn one of those little party hats. Yeah, and I've never broken a bone, so... Mm. There you are. Probably and broken. And he's never, so. he's never cried. But I've broken hearts. <laughs> and that's why, why Ryan's the real spooky one. <laughs> spooky, scary. What happened? Did, did, did something set it off? Did you did you blow your nose too hard? Did you hit your nose? I think it was, yeah, blowing the nose and also like a weather thing. I weather. Mm, I didn't know that you had this weakness in you. That's why you are the spit to my Polish. Yeah, spit blood from my nostril. And we're here to be Polish and spit facts about movies. I guess the reason you didn't notice was because I'm invisible. Yeah, that's it. Well, is the blood invisible, though? That's the question. Well, the clothes I wear is invisible, so I guess things inside me would be too. Well, you may have been naked without, you know, no clothes, just walking around. Why do you need clothes if you're naked? That's true. Or blind. There was a Paper Mario game that acknowledged that. Yeah, so we're here to talk about movies and Paper Mario. Is Paper Mario particularly spooky? Does it ever get spookster? Um, are there those? Uh, what are the ghosts? The booze. The booze. Are there booze? Yeah, yeah. In the first one, there's a there's a chapter where you like you go to a booze mansion, but then there's like a twist of like, oh, we're actually being oppressed by these ugly guys. So the booze are nice. Then in yeah, in, in the first one they are. I can't remember if they're in. Are booze traditionally evil in Mario, or are they ambivalent? Um, or are they nice? Generally, like, trickstery. I mean, they're usually okay. enemies, you know, as same as, like, the Coopers. Like, oh, the Coopers are friendly sometimes, but if you touch them... And that is our discussion of Mario. Can't wait for... Do we know if they're going to be in the Mario movie that's coming out with Chris Pratt? The booze? I hope so. I like the I, I know, I know uh, we've got Luigi, of course, Donkey Kong's in there, Cranky Kong's in there. Oh, okay. Don't you remember Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong? No, I remember Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. I didn't remember Cranky Kong. Cranky Kong's there, but that's enough Cranky Kong content for now. We are here to talk about a spooky movie because we're in October, where we recommend movies of a more October feel, whether they're direct horror or just have that... Feel, you know, you know what I mean when you just watch a movie and you just go, hmm, something, something's off, something's happening. You want to scratch yourself, but like you're not in a position to do it. That's yeah. it. That's it. And it's a spider crawling up your leg while you're playing the piano. Well, at one point it goes into the. Oh, it goes somewhere, and it goes somewhere deep. What a pervert! What a per- perfect film. And I recommended the film for this one. I recommended uh, 2013's Stoker. 
which has a lot of stuff happening. But we recommend you give the film a watch if you have not seen it, because we'll get into the details and spoilers. But to give it a brief summary for to appetize you, and then we'll say go away now, is uh, it's a family mourning the loss of the uh, the patriarch. The father figure it has recently passed away. We're seeing the fallout of that with the, the the wife and the daughter. And wouldn't you know it, this handsome, suave man comes in to help fix the family. And he's the, the, the father's brother, the long-lost brother that nobody's really talked about. And they've said that he's been traveling overseas. And he's starting to put things right for the family in a way that's... A little he, bit creepy. He stays with with them as they're the guest. Yes. And that's all you get. Now go away and watch the film and come back. Uh, I recommended this because it has a few components that I was rather drawn to. The director is the same director as uh, The Handmaiden and uh, Thirst, a great vampire movie. I was tempted to recommend Thirst for this uh, this month, and I may, if I still get a choice this month, I don't know. But, I think uh, we all will, yeah. Uh, um, I don't know if I get another choice. Though. Like I can't remember if it lands. I think it does. I think I get one Dude, I, th- I think we're going to have like six episodes this month or something. Awesome. <laughs> but, um, and Old Boy, which is one of his most iconic uh, films. So he directed it, first English-language film, written by Wentworth Miller, who is an actor you are familiar with far more than me. You're a fan of the Prison Break television series. Yeah, I saw the original four seasons. I think there's more stuff, but I don't know what they are. Uh, So you're a fan of them. We both like Nicole Kidman. She's one of those actresses that weirdly is adept at being in these rom-coms, these Oscar-nominated, Oscar-worthy films, these biopics, uh, uh, action films, comedies, and horror films. Mm. Specifically the type of horror films where it's her with her hair tied back real tight, and she's wearing dresses from another time period, whether the film is a period piece like The Others, or she's got that... Because Nicole Kidman has a very specific look, and a very specific way she speaks, and it can be really honed in with something like The Killing of a Sacred Deer. I was about to say, yeah, I think that's the last time we saw her, and both of these films, she's like playing a mum in this very unsettling film. A grieving, you know, tortured figure, but very differently played. That's the most important thing. And you as a viewer, your sympathies are very different for those two characters, I would say. But, uh... Then yeah, we 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 had there was a lot of elements going into this. I was like, oh, this is interesting. I remember I heard about it at the time, and I didn't know too much, but it was one of those. Oh, I'll, I'll note that down and I'll watch it later. Well, it's almost ten years, baby, and I'm here to watch it for the pod. Uh, what about you? Anything? Anything you knew about this film? And if not, any uh, ideas of what you were going to get into? I think I even asked the question at the end of last episode, uh, you know, just hearing the title Stoker and it's spooky month. I'm like, oh, well, Bram Stoker comes to mind. Is it going to be something like that? Um, so obviously I was thinking, oh, maybe it's like a, maybe not Dracula, but like a vampire thing. Um, and then cut to after I watched the film and I go on like the Wikipedia page to read like the development section. and <laughs> I read that too. <laughs> and, and 
there's a like bunch of lines from Wentworth Miller talking about the film where he's like, uh, it's it's got nothing to do with vampires. A lot of people thought it did, but no, it's got nothing to do with vampires. <laughs> I remember you asked that, and I said, I don't know. I have a feeling it probably I may or may not. There was I was a, leaning towards that it's yeah. mainly going to be a family drama. There was which- a, there was an explanation. In, in all those sentences, something like, oh, it's a reference to, like, the people on the trains who, like, mm-hmm. stoke the flames in the mm-hmm. boiler to keep the train running, so something like yeah. that. Yeah, and I, I have my own interpretations of what the title refers to in the context of the film, not in the context of whatever the writer or director has to say about it, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, but so you had a feeling like maybe there's going to be some vampire shenanigans. Yeah, and maybe just to even generalize it further, like maybe something supernatural. I, I don't know, but mm. yeah, didn't really end up being that. You well, no, no. Uh, you did know the things I mentioned just now. Uh, going in, I mentioned yeah, at the you end mentioned of last episode, and you, that piqued your interest, especially Wentworth Miller writing. You're like, what? Really? <laughs> him? It's mostly because I just haven't thought about him in a really long time. Yeah, he's he's an interesting person, let's just say that. He's had a very interesting life, from um, what I've read. Okay, well, sounds like you might know more about him than I do. I think he was homeless for a period of time, like, uh, after prison break? I don't know. Uh, he I just kind of dropped off the map, and he's got a very bizarre writing career. And then we'll talk about that, because that's appeared in the trivia a lot, that this is the sequel to a script he has written, but that script hasn't been created uh, about Uncle Charlie. But, uh, okay, let's just dive into Stoker. What did you think? Uh, I thought it was all right. I wasn't, you know, super, th- you know, into it, but it it was fine for me. Yeah? Yeah. Just fine? Yeah, it was fine. It worked, and by the end when, you know, the the final... The resolution, you know, what what the what our main character is really like is shown, um, and you can reflect back on what the whole journey of the film was. I did appreciate it a bit more, mm. but in general, you know, I just thought it was all right. It was very, very poetic. I mentioned before as a joke, like, oh, he the the guy is the the guest, like mm. referencing the guest where that film was about someone you know, relatively unknown to them, but with, like, a believable connection to a deceased relative mm. staying with the family and, like, killing in some ways for them. Mm-hmm. But really, they'll he'll just as likely kill them, too, yes. if something goes wrong. He's smiley yeah. and, and gentlemanly and handsome yeah, and this, polite, this felt like but a, you know there's something broken Yeah, th- this felt like a version, even though I think that film is much newer than this one, that one's a year later. 14, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, it, it felt like sort of a more poetic version of that, mm. which in some ways, like, oh, more interesting in this way, but in other ways, you know, I don't want to say wanky, but like in some scenes it did feel a bit like, okay, where, where's this going kind of thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I said, by the end, when I was reflecting back on like the journey, I was like, oh, okay, that is interesting. It's a slow burn mm. and it's a slow paced movie, which I was not surprised by because it's, this director, um, The Handmaiden's a long movie. Uh, it's fun, though. That's the difference. Uh, the Handmaiden's... People, if you haven't watched it, watch it. It's mm. a great film. Uh, be warned, it's nearly three hours long, but it's a great film. Uh, Is that long? It's like two hours and like 30 minutes or something. But uh, yeah. and it depends which version you watch. There is an extended cut. Right. But uh, so, I... Ryan, what did you think of it? I... I was worried... At the 
outset because I was looking at it and I go, oh no, did I not pick a spooky enough movie for spooky month? <laughs> but then the film said, Ryan, Ryan, it's me, the director of Old Boy. I'm always violent. I'm like, oh good, thank you. I had a very strained relationship with the film. I didn't really click with it for a very long time. And then there was a moment where I went, ah, okay. I have a now newfound respect for this. And then by the end of the movie, I sat back. It was just me. I watched it alone in the dark. And I sat there going, I think I loved this movie. So I had a very roller coaster ride with Stoker. Mm-hmm. Here's how I look at it. This is my view of why this drew me in. Now, I read afterwards that Wentworth Mill was very much inspired by Hitchcock, and that makes sense now that I think about it, but this is what I got out of it. Two things that were key to my enjoyment of it is one, this is a coming of age story. But for a psychopath, yeah, and or I a sociopath l- at the very least, yeah. I like that. Mm. I like that. That's kind. It that's doesn't kind of, present itself as that yeah. immediately. And that's like, what oh. I was alluding to by like the resolution, what the film was actually about, kind of thing. But when I first realized, when I decided, oh, this movie is really in my alley, is we get the revelations about Charlie, mm. and it's very, very silly. The way it's presented is like. It's riding this line between being very dramatic because it's visually presented, but also it's it's tropey. You've seen this stuff in lots of exploitation and B-movies and just general thrillers and chillers, but it's being presented with this utmost professionalism and sincerity and artistry. And then I went, oh, oh okay, this is what I want We used to do a show called Mystery Box, which we haven't done in ages, but I hope to get back to it, where we would come across some of these films, films in quotations. This reminded me of Distant Cousins, for instance, Mm -hmm. where there are these exploitation throwaway crap movies where you have the family that's broken, but then the the stranger comes in and fixes their lives or torments their lives. So it is through murder and gruesome and... There's the the stepfather movies is a great example of this, and uh, what I really liked about it is it's as if somebody looked at those films, looked at them, and said, "Can I make them but good? Mm. Like, can I grab one of these mystery box films? Can I grab one of these straight to DVD thrillers? Can I grab one of these seventies exploitation films? Can I grab one of these and do them?" but with absolute, like, poetic nature to it, with visual flourishes that you would expect from a high-end director like the man who gave us Old Boy, can that be done? And we've seen many directors play around with that. That's Tarantino's career. Tarantino's career is he loves these crappy 70s exploitation films, all these spaghetti westerns, all these kung fu movies, and he's like, but can I do them but good? Can I do them but with a good budget and great actors and my style? And I really warmed up to the movie when I started to see it through that lens because to me, you get the Uncle Charlie reveal where it's like, yeah, this is something that I would have 
scene in one of those movies, are, but are not you, presented very well. Are you talking about like the flashbacks with the dad? Yes, and yeah. the reason why the movie's happening. Like, he is the reason that he killed the dad, and they have this rivalry, and he's insane, and he's out of the asylum, but he's pretending like he's normal, and we've seen those. We know of those if you have not seen them. And often they are presented in a very cheap, cheesy, tropey, cliched manner. But here you have these beautiful shots. Nicole Kidman, Oscar-winning actress Nicole Kidman, giving a dedicated performance. Everybody is playing to this material. But what I like is they're not playing it straight they're all slightly arched in their performances. Like, Nicole Kidman's just slightly off in a good way. And same with our lead actress, and especially Matthew Good. Uh, good or Goody? I don't know. He has an E at the end of Good. But uh, as Uncle Charlie, where he's, a, he's very much playing up the slight campy or over-the-top nature of it. But they're not breaking they're not breaking that arch. They're, they've just got it enough where you contemplate, is this movie serious or is it is it a little bit silly uh, that's how i'm digesting it i'm still digesting it because there are moments where I'm like oh this is so silly but at the same time it's so po-faced about it that mm-hmm. I, I i respect it uh how do you feel about this stuff I mean, definitely when we did get, like, the flashback scene and all of the interactions that Charlie has with the the dad, definitely there was a shift in the tone there where, you know, this is the reveal of what this character actually is, that what he's acting like in the present day is, you know, a, a, a performance that he's doing for these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely there you, you're seeing the, the facade that's going on. Um in terms of, like, the campy enjoyment, I guess maybe I only really saw it in that flashback scene. Like, I know there's definitely a little bit more, like, you know, when he's basically being romantic with our lead, mm-hmm. um, you know, when he's giving her the shoe and everything like that. Um, but for the most part, just because most of the movie is kind of playing it so seriously, I don't really see it that way. I mean, in the terms of, like, the reveal at the end... Mm-hmm. Again, the way that it resolves the whole plot and shows you, like, this is what the story was all along. I can definitely appreciate it in that sense. But like you said, it is a very slow film and it gets Mm -hmm. to that point quite late in. But you would agree that when you do get that reveal, it flashes you back to why this actor is playing it this way throughout the whole movie, right? It's not a betrayal of that, yes? It's not like he switches suddenly, you're right, but I have more thoughts along that line for our lead rather than Uncle Charlie. Well, yes, but but Uncle Charlie is secondary. Yes. So, but I'm gravitating towards that because to me, it's not necessarily like it was campy fun, but there was a there was an energy he was playing it with these bug, these wide eyes, and this rictus grin, and he's always so close to people, and he's way too elegantly charming like like he's doing gardening in like full like suits and vests and ties and 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 he when he kills like the 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 rapist guy he's like ever so polite about it and you're like there's something not quite right here but it's not quite right in the same way as uh you think the tone of this movie is presenting you like you walk into this movie and it's a bit pretentious you know you got wanky poetry 
You've got our lead character who's very emotionally devoid in lots of ways, but also broken as well. You're kind of coming at it. Nicole Kidman is, you know, she's she's delivering it. So you're expecting there's this level of uh, very, very serious, but there's something about his performance where it's just a degree or two to another direction that's a little bit more on the silly side because there is something about, like, the piano scene, which is probably the best scene in the movie mm. when they both play in piano. And the way he's just leaning in and the eyes where it's intense but also there's just something where you go come on really and i've related to dan stevens and the guest where dan stevens and the guest is far more comedic in his performance as uh, as our as other guest but you know immediately when he comes in what you're kind of getting this is a little bit different where this guy comes in you feel like you know what you're going to get when he comes in but then the film really holds back on it for ages like you expect him to start killing people a lot quicker, or like you would see it, or you get an understanding of what that is, but it takes a little bit. It takes a little bit of time. Like when Jackie Weaver comes into the movie, that's when you really get the feeling, oh yes. And then you see him take care of Jackie Weaver. So you're like, oh yes, but that's a while in. It's a good t- chunk of the movie that we get that happening. Yeah, well, technically he gets the housemaid first, but oh, yeah. we don't really get that reveal until pretty much the same time as the Jackie Weaver one. Weaver one. Yeah, and that's what I mean. Like, you flash back, go, oh, yes, that's what was happening. Okay, yeah. And you realize, oh, yeah, I didn't realize that she wasn't in the film anymore. Because you're so drawn to all these other things happening. Well, they, they have, like, a sub-focus on, like, oh, has the has, has the maid turned up? Like, no, mm. still? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, talk to me a bit more about the movie. So, what were some elements that um, uh, uh, drew you in or, or got your attention? Focus. So early on, when the maid was still around, there was that line about... Oh, it was actually, like, two of the other maids were talking about, you know, gossiping about um, the mum, Nicole Kidman, and talking about how, like, oh, with the with her husband gone, she has to look after the daughter. Oh, well, actually, with the way that the two of them are, the daughter's the one looking after the mother. Um, and definitely the film, with a lot of their scenes together, played up this idea of her being sort of like the... When we talk about this film feeling very poetic or modern-y, it's not so much with Nicole Kidman. She feels very modern. We have that whole scene where um, India, the the main girl, Mia Vashkovska, um, is like reading and she's basically criticizing Nicole Kidman for, uh, you know, kind of trying to get over the whole death and mourning thing very quickly mm. by bringing up, like, oh, in these cultures they would mourn for three months or three years or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, and you can just see that Nicole Kidman is trying to, like, let's just go out and get ice cream. This kind of very weird thing of, like, let's try not to have... Let's try not to be in this film, basically, of, of mm. you know, being serious and poetic and stuff like that. Whereas we have... Not to sound redund- reductive of of our lead performance, but like very sort of emo-y, like you know, mm. you know oh, reading poetry, and she she feels very 
like you said, it's a coming of age. So it, it feels like she's trying to kind of find her place in mm-hmm. adulthood to the point that there was a point where I was, where they mentioned like, oh, 1994, that's the year you were born. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. So she was born 1994. This film was released in 2013. So she's around 18, 19, you know, just finished school, mm-hmm. things like that. Then we suddenly get a scene where she's in school. And it's like, oh shit, no, she's still a student. Yeah. She, she yeah, very much. I, I, that's my complaint of the movie, the high school stuff. I'll get there, but. Boy, oh boy. Yeah, when that happened, it almost felt like a twist in a way because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, this character's, you know, she's still dressing a little bit young and feels a bit young, but like maybe she's just out of school. <laughs> but, but her outfits look like from the 18th century. She, ex- exactly. That's what I mean. She's like kind of out of place with, whereas her mum is, like I said, modern. But then, no, you, you get a high school scene and there's like a dumb jock bully. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. yeah, who, who's, um, I, I know that actor from a bunch of things. He was in those prequel x-men movies mm-hmm. but uh to go to that book scene for a second though i think what's really key to understand the main character in that moment and her relationship with her mother is like i, I get it she's being you know the angsty emo teen yeah but they do say in the movie like nicole kidman can't leave the house like she's incapable of leaving that house she she has some mental illness or some mental trauma that's why she never went on the hunting trips with them or never connects with the daughter because she she can't she she's in she's unable to connect with her daughter for her own reasons as well as her daughter's reasons which we find out during the movie so when she's having that scene where it's like come on darling let's go out for ice cream it's like we won't go out for ice cream so why are we doing this Mm. so i'm just gonna have a go at you for wanting to speed through grief grief and so I got it. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And hence, Nicole Kidman's still at the very end of the movie. She still can't leave the house. She still can't get off those grounds. She sees her daughter's shoes strung along the, the stairwell and out the door, and she's unable to go out and go get her daughter because she's incapable of doing that. So I thought that was an interesting... Like, I really loved them. Like, the, the two of them. In all honesty, like, and I know this is throwing stuff for a loop... I could have done without the Uncle Charlie. I could have just done with those two having issues. Yeah, well, like, you, the question you asked me was like, oh, what's something you gravitate towards? And that's kind of what I'm getting at here. Is- um, Uncle Charlie, like, uh, that guy gives a great performance. Like, I, I really think he's he's captivating, but there's something about the time management with him in the film where there's just, I need more scenes of him and the daughter together than what we really got. Or more scenes of him and Nicole Kidman and the daughter together. There's lots of scenes of him just, he's outside doing stuff. I guess, again, because the guest was really on my mind throughout a lot of the film, I was remembering in that film, you know, there was a much bigger family, like more family mm-hmm. members, and we kind of had a dynamic between our the guest character and the whole family. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this film, it's just him and these two characters. But yeah, like you said, a bit of management of, like, more of them all together, mm-hmm. more focus of, like, him and India throughout the film before, like, the big reveals and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about some negatives. Um, the high school thing. Mm-hmm. <sighs> we didn't need that. The only reason, I mean, do you want to take a guess what the reason that exists, like, why that exists, this whole high school the bullies and the good guy, white knight. Like, do you, I mean, what do you think? Well, I, I guess my guess would be, given that our director is South Korean and uh, mm-hmm. apparently is not fluent in English, 
possibly to attract an audience that's American with something familiar? Oh, no, I'm not thinking from that business perspective. I'm thinking in the movie, she, she, there's a turning point for her character, and it involves a teenage boy, or like a, a boy. Uh, involves Alden Ehrenreich, Han Solo himself. Yeah, acting lessons. Um, and he was great in this. I mean, he was his character was shit, like garbage. Like, and I don't mean like his character was a bad guy. Like, he was a poorly written character. Was he introduced in the scene where she stabbed with the pencil, or was he introduced before that? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I think he was introduced whenever we went went to the school first. So if that's the stabbing with the pencil Could, scene. No, no, no. Be, well, this no, no, is the, the art scene where she's drawing. Yeah, was he in yeah. that scene? Yes, he was. He was? Okay. Yes, yes, he was. And I, I immediately recognized him because like, hey, it's Alden Ehrenreich. And he's always been that guy. No matter how young he is, he's always got a five o'clock shadow happening. <laughs> no matter what, he always looks too old. Because I guess I completely, if he was you know prominent in that scene, I completely forgot about him because we mm-hmm. had the scene where she leaves like the back of the school and she mm-hmm. like the bully click is there. Um, and she has the confrontation with them, and then he just pops in and is like, guys, you're just being dicks. Go yeah. away or whatever. And I'm like, who is this guy? So, so he... Okay, the whole fucking thing, other than to establish her age bracket, and that further helps understand that she's coming of age, because she is a, she's a fairly young actress. I mean, at this point, she would have been in her 20s because she was born in 1989. I think the trivia was, yeah, 80, 83, 23. So, so... You know, she she's skirting the line of looking like a teenage girl because I mean, hey, she was Alice in Alice in Wonderland, mm-hmm. but uh, but her natural her look in this makes her look older because she's got the brown, the dark hair. It's parted in the middle. She's got like this grimace on her face. She's got these old timey clothes. So it, it, there's a dissonance. So you need to establish her age bracket even more firmly. But what I really dislike about this is it's cynical. It's cold. It's just scripty. Which is you have to have the bully characters to establish the nice guy, the white knight, the olden Ehrenreich. So that way you think that there's a possible love interesty thing and then he turns out to be a rapist or an attempted rapist and then he's the guy that gets killed and then that helps turn her to the character journey she'll go on. That's all it's there for. Yeah. None of them are real characters. None of them. Nothing. There's no humanity to the Alden Ehrenreich character. There's no like even potential of like believing that he's real, like like a real person or a real character. He's just a he is just a means to an end. Yeah. Even like what you're just saying there about like you know they just have a purpose. Like the bully characters, as soon as they're like whatever, man, I didn't want to spend time with her anyway. They're like gone. They just don't exist. There's, in the film. there's no comeuppance for them, and that's only like their second scene. So you'd be expecting mm-hmm. like oh a third scene, like a really big comeuppance. And, or there, something. There's, and I don't mean to be to be sexist, but there is a little bit of a disconnect that the like the, all of the boys are bullying this hot chick. I just. <laughs> I just couldn't believe that. I'm like, I at least have one or two girls there to kind of bitch about how she's not like traditionally feminine in her appearance, like how Nicole Kidman does throughout the movie. Like Nicole Kidman's character serves as as that where she's like, she's wanting her to be more of a, you know, a teenage girl. But something about like these football jock bros wanting to like punch her. I just, you need them. Their their... archetypes are like typically the antagonists to a male student. Yes. Who's like their, you know, 
bully picking on them. And and we're not talking about real life here. We're talking about how movies and TV shows work. There's shorthand, mm. there's cuts and corner. And not saying you can't have male bullies against a female student. You can. You just need to dedicate it to it. And that, to me, that was the weakness of the film. If I had to come in and tell Wentworth Miller how to write the script or how to edit this, you need to do that. You need to fix this element up or get rid of it entirely. To me, you don't need the rapist boyfriend or like potential boyfriend character for that kill scene. I don't you can find another way in this story with the characters that exist for her to turn to this point, but I just or have him be at the funeral. Like have him be there at the very beginning to help like you know, mm. you get this uh, opening thing which i thought was great where where we get the she's on the tree looking at a present we get her being isolated at the wake all of that wouldn't it be great if you had all of that happening and then it cut to this handsome guy trying to comfort her and you're like oh no she does have someone but she's not paying attention to him because she's too consumed with her own stuff you establish him early on in a pivotal scene like you don't forget the boy who's comforting the girl at the wake of her father's funeral. But you will forget the boy who's briefly in the back of the scene in an art class that doesn't matter to the rest of the movie. Yeah, and I would also probably say that if you're going to have a character who's still in school, maybe don't introduce the fact that they're a student going to school at a point where the audience is going, like, hey, well, she's not a student. Yeah, because that, that, that was my in. That was my big thing of, like, oh, oh, she is a student. Like, just immediately after I decided, okay, well, she's clearly not a student. Yeah, like, have a teacher come in and mention it or something. Uh, uh. Or whatever the establishing they do to establish mm-hmm. she's a student, have Alden Ehrenreich part of it so that he can mm-hmm. be put into our minds. That's my weakness. You know, I don't think this is a perfect film, uh, but like I said, I did grow to, to to love this. And again, this is a part of that, to me, grabbing this, like, B-grade type story where you would see that character, the 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 seemingly nice guy who, who then gets a bit handsy and maybe a bit rapey, and then the slasher killer, the evil Uncle Charlie or the stepfather or whatever it is in these movies comes in and kills him because that's my girl, don't touch her, you know, that type of thing. And then it puts our main character in an awkward position because the guy was doing something wrong, but she didn't want him to die. And then you know, her relative or her father or whoever it is, is the killer. So it's like, oh my God, what do I do? I mean, Twin Peaks is also another example of like taking these soap operas at the time and elevating them to something artistic. Like I thought about Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me at several points as well, where you have like this, what could be in another writer's or creator's hand uh, hands, a rather generic thriller killer slasher family drama thing but you have someone with such like high level artistic integrity and vision that it transforms and elevates into something completely different uh, you mentioning twin peaks firewalk with me just made me giggle because 
I was also comparing the olden Aaron Wright character to James. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I wish I- she stuck her finger up and at him and said, <laughs> fuck off, James. <laughs> like, at one point, I, he was, like, established, oh, he, he rides a motorcycle. I'm like, oh. And he goes to this bar at night yeah. that has a red neon sign. Yeah, and the the scene following that, like, when they're, you know, walking over the train tracks in the dark in the woods, I'm like, oh, this is like that ending of Fire Walk With Me where she screams. Uh, so, uh, what else is there to talk about, Bartek? What, what's something you want to touch upon with Stoker? Um, you mentioned before the, the flashback reveal scenes, um, you know, finally kind of, you know, showing us what our antagonistic character was really like, uh, was effective. I also enjoyed them, and we even had one where they were much younger and they had mm. younger people playing them. Um, I thought they did a really good job, and that whole scene was it really cap- it captured me. Like when they had the little little infant brother, mm-hmm. um, how they were like playing together, and it's all nice and going down the slide. He loved stairs. He loved just you know going mm-hmm. upstairs whenever he could see them. I really like that trick where to let us know which brother was which. Like we obviously knew the two that were playing around, but then when it the camera like flipped and panned and zoomed across the the yard into the house. Yeah. It's like him as an adult, and then when it cut to an over-the-shoulder shot, now it's him as a kid. I thought that was a really nice touch. Yeah, that uh, is that is that that was the adult the first shot? Mm-hmm. Okay, I completely missed that because I just saw that. I'm like, oh, wow, they got a kid that really looked like him. Mm-hmm. No, it was him as a, it's him as an adult with his hair slicked in a different way, and then over-the-shoulder shot, and now him as a little boy. Mm. It was rather interesting. But, yeah, you were saying, like, the, the flashback stuff. Yeah, I enjoyed that scene, like, the, the reveal of, like, you know, the little boy going down the slide and into the hole and just looking around and the camera's like, you know, bird's eye view going out and it's just like, oh God. And you see the older brother mowing the yard in the distance, unaware of what's happening. Yeah. It's like it was just stone throw away. This really weird non-naturalistic shift of like, oh, he's not with the little boy anymore. He's out there. Mm. And, you know, then we get this weird cut in time where he sees something, he runs, the lawnmower is just going off on its own, and it's the mm-hmm. middle brother just, like, you know, doing snow angel in Which the sand. we saw our main character do on the bed earlier in the film. She was yeah, doing, like, did. she was on the bed doing snow angel on the bed, tying yes. into the idea that this film is a film about, you know, does this tendency run in the family. That's right. Oh, yeah, and the first one, the metronome, yeah. She's displaying certain things that he has displayed in the past. So, yeah, interesting little thing to think about. Again, this is a movie where once it plays its hand, it makes you go, oh, right, you're looking back and, oh, yeah, 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 and makes you, well, at least for me, keen to give it a rewatch at some point no, to for, for see sh- how it plays out on that knowing of how things are. Yeah, for sh- for sure. To re-, re to reiterate my initial impressions when I was talking earlier in the episode, the ending act of the film was really what I enjoyed the most because I was reflecting on things happening before. So definitely, there is a rewatch value to this film. Mm-hmm. And. Uh... You see, for me, there's something about, like, when we do see him in the mental asylum and he's, like, being taken out and he's just, oh, hello, and he's got the awkward hug and everything. There was a level of, like, this is a little bit amusing of, like, we're really taking this turn. Because, again, really got to emphasize it. The film is beautiful, visually stunning. They have 
elegant camera moves and music is is absolutely breathtaking. It's by the guy who did the score for Moon. Mm-hmm. And the opening credits was very similar to Moon with the the writing that's like physically on things. When people run on it, it like falls over the text and crushes underneath people's feet and everything is very similar to how Moon, where the font has shadow that falls onto the ground and stuff. It's very reminiscent. But uh, you you have all of this and then it takes this turn where it's just like, oh yeah, okay. It's like he's, he's, he's crazy cuckoo and he's got like the kooky evil smile and... When you think about it from a Hitchcock perspective, it makes sense as well because that's Psycho. Like Psycho is 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 the classic example of, you know, that would have been a Roger Corman film, like the the typical like sleazy shot real quick killer movie. But Alfred Hitchcock did it, and he made it really really well. And it's like this really regarded film. But when you think about it, it's it's very much a, a you know. A, low-end genre idea of like yeah the guy who is his mother and stabby stabby and he wears her clothes and all of that but it's presented it's presented on a high-end level by a master of their craft and that's how this is where we have this moment and you go oh this is a little bit silly but god it's been presented so well there was this one shot i was i was absolutely in awe of where uh the daughter was brushing nicole kidman's hair brushing her hair and we're getting oh, the closer transition. on the hair and then it slowly turns into the marshes where they're yeah. waiting to hunt. Uh, that was great. That was, and there's so many shots like that. There's many shots of fades within fades as well. Like you have like four images faded on top of each other and you're like, where am I going with this? And then it'll eventually transform into whatever the scene is. It was like, oh, oh okay, cool. Lots of craftsmanship is put in. Yeah. The, the scene with, um, with, Uncle Charlie and the dad was also really good because throughout all the film, whenever we saw Uncle Charlie, he always seemed to be the socially dominant one in all the Mm. scenes. You know, he's the mysterious guy who people at the party, you know, would approach with caution and he charms them. We've got the mum. He doesn't wear black. He doesn't wear black. We've got the mum character who definitely has her own issues going on, whatever they might be. So, you know, she's very open to his influence, and we even have our main character, India, who, you know, is wary of him, but doesn't really have the personality that would, like, overpower his social power. She she could be lured in by him. She could be lured in by him to, in some scenes, work, some scenes it doesn't. But then when we see him with the posthumous character, Mm -hmm. the one who's basically just been a legend to us, we've only seen him, whenever we do see him in scenes, he doesn't say a word, we just know his reputation by what the characters say about him. All of a sudden we see him in a scene where he's acting normally, mm. he's talking, he's stern and... Rational. Rational, and the interaction that the his younger brother, Charlie, the one who's been socially dominant in all these scenes, has with him is definitely more submissive because he's, mm-hmm. you know... He's doing like the you know crazy oops sorry crazy guy in the mental institution smiling all the time awkward hugs awkward yeah. hugs and it's like okay he's trying to appeal to him he doesn't realize that the dad has an agenda of like oh I bought you this apartment mm-hmm. and he's he, and Charlie's like slowly piecing together like what do you mean what do you mean so it's clearly this character has I'm family you have to love me too yeah so clearly this character has a social power over him so when we he, we do see him acting a little bit more mm-hmm. silly. It's because this is the one character that can make him vulnerable. I also really appreciated when you look back on the father, who was played by Dermot Mulroney, who was uh, the main lead in the wedding plan. 
which we've covered on the podcast, the Deborah Messing film, the one where she hires a gigolo to come with her to a wedding. Over, oh, that was called The Wedding Date, wasn't it? The Wedding it? Date, sorry. The yes. Wedding Date. I always get it wrong. The Wedding Date. He was he, the he lead. He was the lead. Okay. Yes, yes, that was the guy. God, that was years ago. Yeah, and well, the years in between these movies, so he's obviously grayed out a bit. But uh, uh, I really appreciated that his struggle is he's the normal one. Like, in his life, he had this little brother he loved so much who got murdered by his other brother who's insane. Then he married a woman who's also mentally unwell. And then he starts to see his daughter start to inhabit and develop the same problems we, that his brother has. And we have that's just line. like a damned life that he lives. And then in the end, he is killed. Like, he is killed. Like, And then we're left in the movie... With all the weird ones, all the unwell ones, all the crazy ones. The normal man, the seemingly normal man, is gone. One of the direct you know, quotes we get that is attributed to him from another character is the you know, reason why he takes her out on hunting trips is sometimes you've got to do something that's bad to stop you doing something that's worse. Mm-hmm. And it's like a line that really speaks to some sort of dark reasoning. Like, ooh. Mm. We thought it was just, you know, because it's a bonding thing, a thing that, that you'd love to do. But no, there's a clear, you know, plan for why he was doing what he was doing, like taking her out on hunting trips. And then when we find out that he didn't even really like hunting, that was something too. We go, huh, okay, well, why this then? Yeah, and then we do get why this. Um, so my read on this is yeah, it's a coming of age story for a psychopath or a sociopath and it is a yes. film that posits that perhaps this is something that goes down generations you know is this something is it not it's up to you to decide is she like charlie or is she her own version of fucked up because throughout the film there's a good portion of it where you think oh no she's being lured in and corrupted by her uncle Charlie, she's like, say, the kid, if we're going to keep comparing it to the guest, the the son in the guest, where he doesn't understand why the guest is a bad guy because they're friends. I'll cover up murders for you because we're friends. And maybe he himself could be capable of being turned bad. But you slowly start to realize, oh, no, no, no. She's already been like this the dad took her on hunting trips because to quell the bloodlust of a killer, one of the tactics is they kill animals. That is what, you know, psychopaths often do is they hurt animals. I I read it as he saw this in her and he was trying to he was trying to quell this by giving her an outlet I, I, for the for yeah. her inherent tendencies that she herself hasn't realized, but he did. So that's why he took her on all these hunting Yeah, I, I fully agree with that, but I think your phrasing there was like, a tactic is to harm animals, whereas the actual thing is that that's an early sign. Oh, yes, it's an early sign, but he's using it as a... Yes, I know, As I know. a therapeutic tactic. Yes, yes, that, that I fully agree with. Very, very interesting when you think about this, because, yeah, you don't think, like, yeah, oh, she's into hunting, okay, cool, and it's all, like... Nicole Kidman's character, her goal in the movie in a lot of ways is to confuse us, the audience, on these details because we look at it as, oh, she's daddy's girl. She's daddy's little girl. Yeah. 
That's not mommy's little girl, but really it's no, 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 no. She wasn't daddy's little girl. She was Uncle Charlie, basically. No, she's, she's the one that made exploding vomit part one. Yes, but she she's Uncle Charlie. <laughs> no, that's how that's sure. how that's how the dad sees her. Yeah, I was gonna bring up basically that point where you know she's our main character. She's the one we're following. She's the one whose perspective that we are you know quote trying to see mm-hmm. everything in this film from. And so because she is our main character, who's you know this very awkward person um like we said you know sort of emo-y poetic you know contrast with the mother um daddy's girl kind of thing mm. you also uh, think of her like as an innocent lamb where other people can guide yeah, her to places mis- misunderstood like there is there's a character here who is growing you know it is coming of age definitely throughout the film it feels like that we just don't know yeah the true nature everybody of it. treats her like a child yeah we're even jackie weaver we're expecting some sort of you know inherent light in this character Mm-hmm. Um and you know where whether she ends up in a dark place or not, it's going to be because of you know the evil forces of something outside or the fact that you know she never got you know the things she needed to, to get to mm-hmm. a happy ending. But then yeah, like I said, the interesting reveal that really grips me is the fact that no, dum dum, throughout this whole film she was clearly showing sociopathic. Tendencies. It's it's cutting class all over again. Like, no, mm. the guy who everyone thinks is the killer is the killer. But we didn't think that she would be like that because By the way, we, sorry, we, everyone, spoilers for cutting class. Oh, I'm so sorry for Brad Pitt's <laughs> first film. But, um, yeah, you don't expect it fully. You know that she's twisted and damaged, but also I think, and this is just my uh, viewing of media, there is a romanticizing of what is what I'm going to call the Wednesday Adams type character that she inhabits, where it's the gothic, teenage, brooding, fucked up girl, but really they're not a killer. But like, you know, like Wednesday Adams in those Adams Family movies is very much like, <laughs> like this, or Daria in the TV show Daria, or like the girls in Ghost World, where there's just this element of. We accept this type of female character in media and don't actually don't actually theorize like what if they were actually mentally unwell and like psychopathic. Well this film is like, no no no, we're gonna do that. We're gonna do that, and you're gonna think that we're not doing that for a while, but really we've been doing it the whole time. You just are so familiar with the Wednesday Adams type girl characters, uh, and we've played you like a fiddle, fool. For for me, the Wednesday Adam thing never works because the two things I've seen that are Adams family related, Wednesday's like just a little sweet little girl, mm-hmm. the sixties show in the cartoon. I know that there is like the like the monotone Wednesday Adams one. Christina I've, Ricci. Yeah. yeah, I've never seen any of those Wednesday ones. But you yeah. know the, I know the of female yeah. characters, and uh, I imagine you have them a lot in your animes as well. And even in WarioWare, like Ashley, things like that, yeah. And it plays you with that, because you go, oh, okay. Like, she may be, you know, an outsider, but she's our lead. So, you know, it's the adults that are wrong, and she's the one... That, no, 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 she's... <laughs> She's a bad person. I, I, okay. The again to 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 give the film praise, it played me. Uh, it played me with the shower scene that she had, where you oh, think yeah. that she's crying over the fact that she just witnessed this boy that she's known for maybe all of her life get murdered in front of her eyes. I thought that 
<laughs> it got me, okay? I didn't expect it that she was wanking off to it and really enjoyed it. I was... <laughs> That was that was good. That was I a wouldn't. Good I wouldn't say that I was played, but I was definitely trying to work out what was going on because the way that we were shown what uh, what was what was his character's name, Wolf or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, Alden Ehrenreich's character. The way we were shown what he was doing uh, when we saw the scene, it seemed like he was starting to rape her, and then mm. you know. Uncle Charlie came over and, like, you know, choked him, him basically. in a very casual way. Yeah. But then we got, a like, another flashback to the scene where it, like, played out a little bit differently. So mm. I'm like, oh, is, is this, like, an unreliable mm. narrator sort of thing going on? Was she actually, like, you know, properly raped for a bit? And, like, mm. this is her trying to wash away, you know, the, fe- mm. the disgusting feeling? Or is this meant to be, you know... Uh, having a little bit of a date with her palms. Uh, no, and also you have the POV shots of his throat being like choked out, and you're like, oh, this is the image she saw of this person dying. Not even his face, the life going out of his eyes, but like the throat. And you go, oh, maybe this is her processing this trauma right now. But then you see, and you go, oh no, no. yes, when, the, when she, she has the very, she, she's she's turned on by this because this film is. Uh, dripping with uh, well, sexual vibes, sexual energies, especially, especially you know, Uncle Charlie. When the when the shower scene ended and she like she just had that calm look on her face, I'm like, okay, now I know what happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a lot of sexual stuff happening. Uh, what did you think about uh the showdown? I guess the the the, the ending where Uncle Charlie and has to you know we have to take care of Nicole Kidman. You know, what did you think about that? Where Nicole Kidman's the last person left that they have to worry about. What did you think of that whole ending sequence and how it played out? So one of the things that happened there is, well, one of the things, it's literally the shot, Mm. the gunshot, um, where I almost called him Alden Ehrenreich. Uncle Charlie is, you know, basically down on the ground with Nicole Kidman trying to kill her. With the belt. With the belt, the, the the classic belt, the iconic belt of the film. It was too big for him. Too big for him, yeah. Um, and uh, India, our lead, has a gun, and she's mm. aiming it at the two, and it's like, ooh, who's she aiming at? And because we, we really don't get a lot of, I guess, internal monologue from her, mm-hmm. um, we don't fully understand how she's feeling about this whole situation. Like, is she in love with Uncle Charlie? Is she just, you know, playing him? We had the staircase scene. The staircase scene, yeah. It was a complete toss-up of like, okay, which one is she going to shoot? There's the shot, the, there's clearly silence from the two, and then we're just waiting for the reveal. Like, okay, which one was it? Did she kill her mom or did she kill Uncle Charlie? And honestly, I think I would have believed it either way because, mm-hmm. you know, this is just the character that we're dealing with. Well, I was more enamored with the lead up to it where Uncle Charlie was sitting at the piano uh, uh, and uh, she Nicole Kim was going up to the bedroom. He, he was sitting at the piano, right? Yeah, I think so. And it was like, she's going to go up to the bedroom and um, just chill out. And then Uncle Charlie and uh, India are deciding, well, we're going to pack. We're going to leave. And then it's like, well, I'm going to go upstairs and, uh, well, you know oh, what yes, I'm he doing had, here. And- he has that line. It's like, you know, Nicole Kidman leaves. She says some line about, like, disapproving. She's like, he's like, India, pack a small bag. 
yes, we're going to be leaving now. And he goes up and you know he's going to try and kill her. And again, the acting between them two, like Uncle Charlie and, and I like how we keep calling him Nicole Kidman, but um, Nicole Kidman was really great in that sequence. Like you really felt it because, you know, again, we've got skilled people here. Nicole Kidman's playing a fragile character and it can be very one note he can be very dismissive as well, but there's something about the way she plays this role where she's she keeps you engaged, is what I'll say. And so when you have them facing off at the end, and you know that he will overpower her, because of course he will, but you're still wanting to watch it. And I really didn't know if our main character was just going to pack the bags and be like, all right, kill her and let's go. Or like, she'll grab the belt and oh, do like, it we herself. never see what happens upstairs. Oh, like I, was, yeah. I was hoping that we would, but like, I didn't know where it was going to lead to. I didn't expect the gun to be grabbed even. Mm. Um, so, and we had set up too, like the, the Cole Kidman burnt all of these animals. So that could have been a motivation, a final push for our main character to kill her. And to be wooed over to the dark side. But then, yeah, her shooting the uncle really let us know, no, guys, this isn't a story about me being groomed by the uncle into being the killer. I've or I've always been like this. I've always had this within me. I thought that was neat. Yeah, I actually appreciated it a bit more because one of the other films I was thinking of, and the title's escaping me, but it was the Sean William Scott film we did earlier this year. Because um, in that film, one of the big reveals at the end is like, oh, his wife also has been like kind of groomed to the side, and they're like, mm. you know, a duo who's done horrible things. So I was bloodline, bloodline. Yeah, I thought it was like blood something. Um, I appreciated the fact that like, oh, this isn't a film where it's two characters end up together. It was different. It was you mm-hmm. know, one character is the one at the end. Like that felt you know a bit more. Mm. And uh, that's Stoker. Any. Other moments or bits or things you want to discuss, or are we good? Um, the jock bully's drawing of the naked girl painting looked pretty decent, actually. It wasn't awful. <laughs> you think for a character like that, it would look awful. Wouldn't it be funny if it's like, actually, he's really artistic and it's our main <laughs> character that can't draw for shit? Uh, they should have had, yeah, the, why a dumb jock bully? Why not like an artistic snob bully? That would be fucking hilarious. Like, wouldn't that match, you know, this kind of emo y yeah, artsy character a bit more? <laughs> why not? Why not? Uh, yeah, I think that's all I've got. This was I just so. one of those ones where. It was a slow burn, but over time, I really grew to appreciate it. And by the end, I, I think I loved it. So, uh, and I was so looking forward to discussing it because there was this element where I go, oh, this, this may be a neon demon thing for Bart. There was a point where I was thinking like, oh, Ryan's recommended a neon demon thing. But then I remembered Ryan hasn't seen this before. Yeah. So, no, it's not like that. <laughs> you mean he didn't do it deliberately if he did um, yeah, well you said this is one that's been on your list for a long time so it's mm. something that you're going to be formulating you even said earlier this episode that you're still processing it mm-hmm. and definitely i walked in being like i'm gonna you know work out my feelings mid-recording uh yeah i recommend it it's not for everybody I think the thing you need to know going in is just it is a methodically paced film I wouldn't say it's a time waster, and it's not too long. Like, it's not over two hours or anything. It's, you know, it's just everyone's giving a specific type of performance as well. 
Um, but that's all I'll say. Like, I recommend it. I think there's a lot to chew on here. I think it's visually very nice. I think the music is fantastic. But there are certain things, like that pacing, like that tone, and those performances that may not work for you as an individual. But give it a chance. I think there's there's, there's, there's stuff here. Hmm. What about you? Um, I think I would also lean to, yeah, giving it a chance. I'm not as confident in my recommendation, but there is definite value in this film. Mm. If it sounds like it's your cup of tea and, you know, you can, you're not going to dismiss anything, you know, poetic or, you know, wanky as like, oh, I'm definitely going to hate this, not for me. If you're actually willing to give something like that a chance or you have a tendency to enjoy things like that. I think this one is worth checking out because there is definite artistry to the, to it. But yeah, uh, it is very slow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and specific. Yeah. Um but that's all we've got first entry in in October for Spooky Month. Yep, our second entry for yep. Spooky Month, but the first in October. Mm-hmm. So, next episode is the listening people's choice and I have one that's been recommended to me ages back. My sister recommended a film. Mm-hmm. It's on Netflix, even. Ooh. It's a foreign film. I cannot remember. I think it may be Norwegian. Mm-hmm. I would have to. We'll we'll find out next time. But it's called The Trip. The Trip from twenty twenty one. Okay. So recent. Uh, okay, I don't that, know. That, that, that kind of contrasts your ages, ages back thing, mm-hmm. but fair enough, yeah. Well, ages back because my sister was like, please watch this, and it was like at the start of the year, and they're like, oh, oh yeah, sure, I'll watch it, and now it's like nearly the end of the year, and I haven't watched it. Uh, yes, yes, you're right. Um, so that is the film. I don't know too much about it. I think it's about a husband and wife, and they're dealing with marriage problems and horror ensues. So that is it. And I imagine they're on a trip of some sort, uh, on a Euro trip. Uh, uh, drug trip. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> there is a drug trip scene in Euro trip. Oh, uh, yeah. I thought you were going to say, in, in, in Stoker, there was a drug trip scene. I'm like, was there? I don't remember, maybe. Yeah, the high school scenes it felt completely out of place in the film. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%, you're correct. And all the shoe scenes. I really like that transition where we saw all of her shoes, like, just cutting down to the baby shoes. I thought it was very neat. That's, that scene kind of played me because I thought that was just like, oh, cuts in time. But then it was mm. all around her. It's like, oh, this is a bit more obsessive. Yeah, yeah, and she's kept them all. Yeah. Ah, so people, you can find us on the social medias of Facebook and Twitter under Spit and Polish Presents. Uh, we are posting on there, so feel free to follow us and engage with us. You can email us at spitandpolished at gmail.com if you want to hit us up more directly. If you have not rated and reviewed the podcast on whatever podcast hosting site allows you to do so, you're a fool. You're a damn fool. You can change that right now by doing those things. But if you don't, you're you're a fool forever. Just know that. You lived a fool and you died a fool. And don't think that we're going to remember that you're a fool because you're as invisible as I am. And we don't pity you, as Mr. T would say. <laughs>